The John Morris Show, episode 151. Hey, John Morris Show listeners. You may not know this, but I record the full video of each episode of the show. So if you want to access the full video, or you want exclusive access to my source code library, or you want access to exclusive courses like PHP 101 and Lightning Responsive, or you want to download my exclusive website templates, or you just want to support the show you love, click on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, to become a supporting listener of the show for as little as a dollar a month. If you want to help out the show, you can leave me a five-star review on iTunes, share the show with your friends, subscribe, all that good stuff. Either way, thanks for listening. The John Morris Show. Your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. How do you stand out? Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Now I think we all recognize that, if we're paying attention, that IT and web development are kind of the in thing now. And if you look around, everybody is kind of wanting into this game. And it's clear that the future is in technology and most societies today are evolving from manufacturing type societies into high-tech based societies. That's especially true here in the U.S. And so every single day, thousands upon thousands of new developers enter our industry competing for the same clients, jobs, customers, time, attention, and ultimately money, which means it's harder for you to get noticed, to get hired, and to earn a living at this. So how do you stand out? And there, there's frankly legitimate insecurity about this because it is getting way more com- competitive. Now, fortunately, it's not as hard as you think to stand out from the crowd if you do the right things. And fundamentally, it comes down to understanding the role in my opinion, the role that talent plays in all of this and how it affects the advantages and disadvantages that you're going to have and how to maneuver all of that. Now, I personally am sensitive to this because I started around 2004 when the web as we know it today was kind of just getting going. And so I was working in this industry. I was doing this kind of work Not just someone kind of on the web surfing, but actually doing this kind of stuff before it exploded. So I've seen it before and after. And I've watched every year as our industry has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's gotten more and more competitive. And to be honest with you, for a while, I myself worried. I went through this myself. I felt those same emotions because I thought I had found my little niche, my little corner of the world that nobody else really worried about or cared about. And I could kind of do my own thing. And then, you know, suddenly everybody's dog's brother's girlfriend's sister started wanting in on IT. And I started to worry and it was hard for me to imagine how I was going to, little old me was going to be able to stand out or compete with all of these really smart, really bright people who have been introduced to this technology from you know the day they were born better trained better equipped all that and so again i i had those same worries but as the years have gone by i've realized a few things 
And, you know, I've kind of started to realize that the things that I thought mattered when I started aren't the things that really matter. They're, they're there, but they're not the really important things. And I've kind of noticed that the more competitive and the more complex things have got, the, the bigger the industry is, the more complex and sophisticated it is, that the answers to, to being able to compete, to being able to stand out, to being able to be successful have actually gotten a lot simpler. And for me, frankly, things have only gotten easier as more people have entered this industry. And so, again, in my opinion, there are five things that I focus on in order to stand out, in order to outcompete other developers, and, and ultimately win and be able to make a living doing this. Five things. And these five things are very simple things that you need to do that just simply work. Because most other developers just flat, aren't, flat out aren't willing to do them. and. Instead, what they do is they end up focusing on one or two and they neglect the rest. And when I explain these to you and show these to you, I think you'll see that as you look around. And so when you know what these five things are, you know that each one of them is important, that you have to do each one of them, and most importantly, you act on all five, then it becomes very, very simple for you to outcompete everyone else. You realize that the things that you thought were important, that were going to matter, that were going to stop you from being able to competing and winning aren't the things that really matter. And you'll be able to put yourself in that 20% roughly of developers who can consistently get work, consistently get jobs, and be able to realize the lifestyle that you dreamed of that got you into this whole IT thing in the first place. And so that's what I'm going to get into in this episode. But before all of that, I'm going to maybe tick you off a little bit here with a little bit of controversy. And this is coming from a newsletter I sent out the other day. So again, I like to talk about these kind of at the beginning of the show. And if you're not subscribed to my newsletter yet, I recommend heading on over to johnmorrisonline.com. You can subscribe right at the top. I send out daily tips for helping you both with your coding, both with your career-wise, just helping you to be able to turn IT into a career for you. And when you sign up over there, you'll also get access to my free PHP course. But I sent this one out the other day, and the, the, the subject of this one is Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. So here we go. So I start by saying people baffle me with this stuff, and they do. But what I'm about to go through here, while controversial, and you may not completely agree with everything I have to say, uh, if you really see through it right, to, to what I'm actually saying, to the lesson that's here, and can get past your initial reaction to it, it's a, very, it's a counterintuitive lesson, but an effective lesson in getting paid as a web developer. So you may have heard that the evil murdering dictator Fidel Castro is now dead. And the thing to keep in mind with this as I go through this is he was a he was a brutal dictator. You know, torture, they would bleed people and sell their blood, execution, imprisonment. Those were all things that were notches in his belt. In fact, there's a research project called the Cuba Archive that works to meticulously verify and document the official Castro murders 
And these aren't just you know, these aren't people just taking hearsay. They actually go through and look for the the murders that were directly either committed or ordered by Castro, verify those murders, and, and they exclude a ton. And so it's very meticulously detailed, and they put the number at 9,240. Now, the head of the project estimates that the number is actually probably much more than that, probably 10 times as much. But because they're so meticulous uh, in how they verify these, there's just a bunch of them that they can't verify. But 9,240 people to uh, you know verified murders is a lot. And so you look at that, and then you have morons saying things like uh, what Jesse Jackson tweeted out, which was, in many ways, after 1959, which was the year that Castro, the whole revolution, Castro came to power. After 1959, the oppressed the world over joined Castro's cause of fighting for freedom and liberation. He changed the world, RIP. And you're getting a lot of this from similar type stuff from people on the left who see Castro as a sort of liberator or hero. But when I hear that, I can't help but think freedom and liberation related to Castro. Now, ain't that rich? I wonder I wonder if all the Cubans that he imprisoned and tortured and killed felt, felt that same way. Then you have this from Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, who said, Fidel Castro was a larger-than-life leader who served his people for almost half a century. We join the people of Cuba today in mourning the loss of this remarkable leader. Now, <laughs> remarkable is one way of putting it. You could say, evil, murderous, vile, those all work too. While, now, while all that's going on, you have the people who actually lived under Castro's rule who are celebrating in the streets. And it's quite the juxtaposition. But the question I want to ask is why? Why would otherwise smart people make such stupid statements about such an evil person? And ignore the people who've actually experienced him and his rule firsthand. Now, you could jump, you could easily jump to, well, they're just dumb. And that's what a lot of people kind of on the right are doing. Well, they're just dumb liberals. But these aren't dumb people. That, it's too easy to go that route. Everybody always goes that route. They always accuse the other side of just being dumb. That, to me, is a bit of a cop-out. The answer in my analysis, is ideology. See, these people can forgive the atrocities because they agreed with him ideologically. And so they're on the same team in a lot of ways. And so to them, the killings are an unfortunate side story to someone who was pursuing similar ideals as them, someone who is a fellow compatriot. And if you hear what people say when they talk about him, they'll bring up the, the the education system, they'll bring up uh, universal health care, they'll bring up things that fit with their ideology. And it allows them to overlook all of the vile things that he did, or somehow excuse them, or just say they're not true, not want to believe them, this, that, the other. So it's ideology that allows them to overlook all of this stuff. And now while that is very scary, if you really think about it, there's also a useful lesson here that we can use. So 
One of the first things that I tell freelancers to put in their profiles is a bit of personal information about themselves. And for me, I, I talk about how I love football, how I'm a big Huskers fan. Now, it, for you, it could be that you're a devout Christian or a Muslim or a Jew, or you're a big Democrat or Republican or Libertarian, or maybe it's that you think LeBron James is the greatest of all times, not Michael Jordan. Whatever it is, the point is to signal the teams that you belong to. It's kind of an ideological dog whistle, to use a political term, that will naturally attract people who are on the same team as you and repel those who aren't. And the the key thing, the key insight here, is it can often cause people to not even look at the rest of your profile or look at the rest of your resume. Because we as humans tend to just implicitly trust other members of our own team. We're instinctively tribal in that way. So we look for those signals. And when we see them, they're almost a kind of shortcut for us analyzing another person. It's, it's a, We almost just completely overlook everything else. Now, here's a perfect example that I got the other day. So the, the guy actually sent me this in an email the other day after something I had wrote related to learning from uh, Donald Trump. And so he said, I love your stuff. I truly respected and valued your work, but the Trump stuff did it for me. Thanks for all you've done. I wish you the best. You're an awesome motivator and great advocate of the awesome PHP language. Thanks. So respect, value, motivation, inspiration, all of that, that he admitted in his own words, all of that thrown out the window because of ideology. Funny thing is, I didn't even say I like Trump. I don't. But I didn't immediately call him a whole bunch of names in, in what I was saying. I was saying, hey, let's just look at this and learn from it. Matter of fact, that same email, I had someone who wrote me back and called me a racist. Not because of anything I said, but because I didn't call Trump a racist. That's how inbuilt this stuff is. And if you think about it, to just completely throw out all of these other things about a person because of where you assess they might stand on ideology, it's pretty unreal you think about it. And if that tribal instinct can cause people to overlook tens of thousands of murders by a brutal, oppressive dictator and actually go so far, not only to not talk bad about him, but to celebrate his life and mourn his death, if it can do that, it can probably swing a few freelance gigs or IT jobs your way. Now, I know that's not for the faint of heart, but it is effective, so use with caution. All right, anyway, so time to get down to a little business. If you want to become the member of the I Gots Me an IT Job team, then PHP is one effective way in to that group and out of that dreaded day job. And you can learn PHP for free using my tutorial series at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. And I promise you, you have my word. The only torture you're going to experience there is the mental kind kicking yourself that you didn't do it sooner. Now, by the way, if you want to, if you want some firsthand experience with the phenomenon I just described, this tribal instinct, I want you to note your reaction to everything I just said and everything I just went through. I did it in a specific way on purpose. Okay? 
So I want you to note how you reacted to those things as I said them. Now, depending on your view of Comrade Fidel, you'll either love or hate what I had to say. And I will get love and hate email accordingly. As a matter of fact, I already have <laughs> since I sent this out the other day. And I actually do this on purpose. I, I, I do these things in a specific way on purpose to scare away the loony bins and to attract people who think similar to me. And as a matter of fact, sometimes I will make opinion type videos, not tutorial videos, just opinion related videos. My is PHP dead video uh, is a good example of that. But I'll make those videos on purpose and just and take a side and not really give any credence to the other side, completely take a one sided approach to it, the side that I happen to fall down on, uh, you know, but I'll, I'll, I'll not be reasonable about it. I'll completely be one-sided about it on purpose. And to, to again, attract people who think similar to me and repel people who don't. And what's funny about those is the likes and dislikes on those videos are completely different than all the rest of my videos. They're erratic. And I think pretty obviously are related to whether or not someone agrees with me. So it's not about how well the content was presented. It's not about, you know, if it was a good lesson, this, that, the other, if I made good points, it's all about whether they agree or not. And you can look at the comments and that, that, that becomes obvious to you. And so if someone agrees with me, they'll like it. And if they don't, they'll dislike it. And those videos tend to get far more likes, but also far more dislikes than any of my other videos. And so again, it's a clear example of this kind of effect in work. It's pretty fascinating to watch. All right, coming up in our main segment, I'm going to get into standing out as a web developer, how you can stand out in the crowd. Later on, we're going to get into some of your FAQs, some from right here on YouTube and also over on Patreon, someone who's challenging me again on a on a YouTube video I did, so you won't want to miss that. You're listening to John Moore Show, johnmorrisonline.com. You know, one of the big mistakes that I see a lot of developers make is they make learning how to code much harder than it has to be. For example, I see a lot of developers who think the list of skills that they need to learn to master PHP is pages and pages and pages long. It's not. Now, I've said this before, and I will definitely say it again, but there's a foundational set of skills that you need to learn in order to be functional as a PHP developer meaning that you can execute on projects and get paid. This is the fallacy that is so prevalent in the PHP developer community, that there's this ideal set of skills that you have to learn and that you have to be the absolute greatest developer in the history of mankind in order to be able to get paid to code. You don't. You simply need to be able to execute on projects. I talk about end results all the time. You need to be able to deliver end results to clients because that's ultimately what they want. But when you focus on these found foundational skills and learning only those first, the things that will allow you to execute on projects, what you realize is that you can start getting paid to code much faster than you probably ever thought because you haven't set this idealistic, unattainable bar for yourself to reach before you allow yourself to take paid work. 
You can start now when you can execute on a deliverable, when you can complete a, a single project, when you can create a contact form or a business website, when you can execute on that, you can start. And you can start then building the life that you wanted that you got into this all for the, in the first place. Instead of continuing to slave away at some job making somebody else rich. Anyway, you can learn these skills in my free course, The Beginner's Guide to PHP, which you can enroll in at johnmorrisonline.com slash learn PHP. And it's going to teach you these foundational skills so you can get started right now. Again, it's a completely free course that you can take at johnmorrisonline.com slash learn PHP. Don't wait on this. Head over there right now and get started building that life. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. So we're going to get into how to stand out in our increasingly competitive and crowded industry. So as you, again, are probably aware, our industry is growing and it's getting more and more competitive and it's getting harder to stand out and to get work and to get paid. And there's lots of examples of this. You know, if you ask, I think anybody related, you know, in business or related to economics or anything like that, they'll, uh, it's obvious that technology is the backbone of the digital economy, which is essentially the co- economy these days. And things like the Internet of Things, which is, again, if you're not familiar, it's, you know, smart TVs. And, and refrigerators and door locks and everything being interconnected like that. That movement is really just getting kind of started. We're just, you know, we're seeing the first of those products being tested and released out there. People, the companies are kind of dipping their toes in the water. And depending on how commercially successful those products are, we're likely to see more and more and more. So, and I think they will be successful not every product, but eventually that industry will become uh, very, very big. And and that's going to see huge growth. So there's going to be a ton of growth there. Uh, you know, if you look at the numbers, if you look at tech employment in the U.S., it just hit 6.7 million people, which is up 200,000 from last year. And that's the highest increase in a decade. Uh, tech, uh, tech jobs account for 7.1% of US GDP and 11.6% of total payroll in the private sector. Euro year over year employment in tech is at 3%, which is above the national average of 2.1%. Now, when you look at those numbers down there, you may may think those those numbers seem kind of small, but when you're talking about the kinds of numbers that we're talking about, that's a fairly significant uh, raise over the the national average. And when looking at those numbers, those are just the direct effects uh, of technology. This None of this counts all of the freelancing that that's happening, that's going on, all the mom and pop shops, all the different ways that technology is being integrated in all sorts of other industry that aren't necessarily purely tech or tech jobs. You know, Upwork does something like 3 million jobs per year per year are posted to Upwork. So that's a whole part of this whole thing that's not even uh, being counted. And a lot of this only kind of speaks to the growth that's happening that's and is sure to continue. 
And so what this all leads to and shows you is that more and more technology is becoming the focus of everything. Everybody's eyeballs are, are uh, I want to say slowly, but really rapidly turning towards technology. And it's becoming the focus. And more and more people are wanting to get into technology. Thousands and thousands of new developers every day are, are getting into our industry. And all of that leads to more competition. It makes it harder to get noticed. It makes it harder to get work. It makes it harder to get paid. It makes it more worrisome to think about your future. And is this something I'm going to be able to sustain for the long run? Am I going to be able to compete in the long run? And again, it's legitimate. This isn't fake insecurity. You know, this isn't being insecure about something that's not real. There's a legitimate concern here about whether or not, A, if you're just getting into this into the industry, if you can actually make it happen for you because there's all of this competition out there now, and or if you're already in the industry and working, if you can continue to sustain it, and if you're going to be able to succeed for the foreseeable future. All of that is, those are legitimate concerns. Now, like I mentioned in the opening, I personally understand all of this. I can relate to all of this because I felt it too. Uh, I started back in 2004 before tech was this huge thing, before becoming a developer was the new in-hip thing, before everybody realized all this. Back when, you know, if you said that you were going to get a job or somehow make money from the internet, people would laugh at you. I've had, I don't know how many people I had laugh at me, tell me I was out of my mind, tell me that, oh, the internet? You're not, you're going to make money from the, I don't know how many people I had tell me that kind of thing. So that's where it was back when I started. And I watched our industry grow from something that was really kind of a bit of a novelty, you know, the, again, that people laughed at you for, to now it being the backbone of our world today. I mean, the internet really drives everything. Uh, and it's only continuing to grow and become more and more like that. So I've watched all of this happen right in front of me as someone working in the industry. You know, I've been through the web 2.0 movement. Some of you, some of you youngins out there probably don't even know what that is. But I've been through the web 2.0 movement, the social media movement, the mobile revolution, all the various shiny new languages that are going to take over the web movement, all of it. And again, all of it while working in the industry and, and trying to survive, trying to navigate all of it, being told I was going to be obsolete in the next year and all of like, I've been through all of that. I've seen it all. And so I've sat up nights terrified about what tomorrow might bring wondering if I was going to be able to keep up, if I was going to be able to learn all of this stuff that I was being told that I was going to have to learn and master and I was going to be obsolete if I didn't know. Right? I've, I've spent nights worrying about that stuff. I've frankly spent nights and days feeling insecure about my own skills and my own abilities. Am I, gonna, am I good enough to do this? It's getting so much more competitive. Am I going to be able to continue to compete? I was scared of all of the really smart developers that are coming into our industry, the, the, the people who've been exposed to tech. I think of my kids, 
They've been exposed to technology that you and I couldn't even imagine at their age. They've been exposed to it from birth. I watch my four-year-old work with a tablet or a phone or whatever, and I can only imagine when he's you know, 18, 19, 20 years old what he's going to be capable of and how just integrated with technology he's going to be, how smart he is. So we, I've, I've watched all of these really smart developers come into our industry. I've been scared about what that's going to mean for me, the old dog, the old man of the group, and am I going to be obsolete? And as I went through all of that, I started to notice something over the years. And that was, I'm still here. <laughs> None of all of that, of all the stuff that people said was going to happen and how it was going to affect me and how it was going to ruin my career and my business, None of all that really affected me all that much. None of it really threw me for a loop. I'm not obsolete. I'm still here doing this. Now, yes, I've had to learn a few things here and there along the way. I had to learn responsive web design. That was a new thing that I had to learn. At first, it was a little confusing, but it wasn't as big of a thing. It didn't happen as fast as everybody said it was going to be. It didn't instantly make everybody obsolete. And it wasn't as hard to learn as I imagined it to be. And there were tools and things that eventually developed that made it easy, that made it trivial to be able to work with that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I had to learn some stuff along the way, but I was never really in a crisis. Not the crisis that I imagined in my head, not the crisis so many of those latte sipping bloggers over on Medium like to tell you you're going to be in. I was never behind an eight ball where some new technology just obliterated me and and ran me out of the industry. Now, that's not to say that that hasn't happened to people. There are people that that has happened to. There are companies that has happened to. Blockbuster is one that immediately comes to mind for me. But when you dive into those situations and, and actually look at them and analyze them, what you notice is that there were often some very glaring holes or glaring blind spots that these people or these companies were just being stubborn about, just flat out ignoring and not paying attention. And so it wasn't that they necessarily caught them by surprise. They did, but it was because that they were just, they were completely blind and oblivious to everything that, to to what was happening around them. And they just ignored all of that stuff. And that's how they got caught off guard by by being blind and, and being stubborn on, on what was really happening. And what I've come to realize through all of this is that there are some important things that when you really embrace those things and you internalize those things, you're able to focus on the right stuff. You don't have that blind spot. You don't get caught off guard like that. And you can easily adapt to what's happening and always continue to grow no matter what. And so that's what I want to share with you here. And in a way, it's kind of how to future-proof your career. So I want to talk about kind of three three realizations that should calm your fears a little bit, and then five things that you need to do in order to be able to manage all of this. So the first thing to realize with all of this is that 
the, this saying that you may have heard before, which is rising tides swell all ships. And the idea of that is that as an industry or as a market grows overall, yes, it becomes more competitive and all that, but there's also more there to play with. So while there's more and more developers coming into our industry now, there's also more and more money. There's more and more jobs. There's more and more opportunity. And so all that rising tide lifts all of the ships. And so, again, as the industry goes, it be, grows, it becomes more sophisticated, which means the cream tends to rise to the top better. And that there's more opportunity in general and more resources and tools available for you to be able to execute on things. So it's much easier now as a web developer for you to deliver on projects than it was in, say, 2004. It was a lot more difficult to do it back then than it is now. So... Yes, there's more competition. There's also more opportunity. There's more resources available. And what ultimately happens as the market becomes sophisticated, as buyers or clients and customers become sophisticated, they start to be able to be able to pick out the good from the bad, separate the wheat from the chaff, and they get really, really good at that. Systems develop for doing that. And if you are in that in crowd, so to speak, that that group of good developers, and I'm going to talk about how to do that, then you have a better chance of rising to the top and and not having any problem with getting clients and so forth because you're not even competing with these other people over here because they can't compete with you. And that kind of leads into the second realization, which is uh, something you may have heard of called the Pareto Principle. So it's basically 20% of any one thing is going to re- be responsible for for 80% of of the effect. So, you know, uh 20% of developers in our the Pareto principle would say in our industry 20% of developers will get 80% of the jobs. Now, if you just look at Upwork's own statistics, the the it'll show you you'll see that there's 12 million registered freelancers on Upwork. And Upwork has 3 million jobs posted to it per year. Right off the bat, that means 80%, almost 80% of developers aren't going to get a single job in a year. Right? There's 12 million freelancers, there's 3 million jobs. So you have way more people competing for those jobs than jobs you have available. So uh, again, it's this idea that the, the, the top 20% are going to get most of the work. And there's Obviously, if you go on there, there's freelancers who get job after job after job after job. So that that percentage is even higher. So your job is not to worry about the other 80%. Your job is to get yourself in that 20%. Okay, And there's some things that you can do in order to do that. And by the way, you should be happy that that's how it works. Because when you get in that top 20%, you're not just going to get one job in a year, which would do nothing for you right? You're going to get, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50. You're going to take more of the share. Instead of one job going out to everybody, you're going to collect a a lion's share of those jobs if you can get yourself into that 20%, which is what we're going to talk about. So again, rising tide swallow ships and 20% of developers are going to get 80% of the work. So again, as the market grows, as you move yourself into that 20%, there's just a lot more available for you to take advantage of. The final realization then is that talent, and this is the big one for a lot of people, talent is not the trump card. 
so many people in this industry, when you think about all these new developers coming in and how smart they are and how good with technology, all of that is a talent evaluation. You're looking at it from a talent perspective. They're going to be more talented than me. But the reality is, is talent is only one small part of it. Yes, it's a part of it, but it's only one small part of it. And it's not a trump card. As an industry grows and becomes more sophisticated, the talent tends to reach an equilibrium. And the reason that is, is because market forces make it untenable for someone to really worry about focusing on becoming super, super good at any one particular thing if that thing isn't marketable. Okay, so there's not there's not a ton of there's not a ton of incentive for for one person to try and go and just be super good at 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 all this stuff that they never get hired for or that doesn't ultimately benefit them some way, you know, directly, tangibly, financially, etc. There's not a ton of incentive to do that. So those so people don't go out and learn all of these other things. Some people do just out of curiosity, but it doesn't really benefit them. Uh, in the market necessarily. So the what happens is, is you tend to reach an equilibrium. You kind of have this range where if you're above this threshold, talent wise, then you're in. And if you're below the, you know, if you're above the high threshold, it doesn't really get you anything. Right. And so everybody just kind of tends to move in this range. And there's some little nuance in, 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 in that range there. And you can kind of move in and out of that. But Talent isn't doesn't become this overriding trump card that you, that overrides everything else that goes on when it comes to working with clients or getting hired or whatever. Okay, so uh, it, the, again, there's an equilibrium, and you can't just rely solely on talent. So when you look at all of these new developers coming in and their talent level, yeah, they may be able to learn stuff better and so forth, but they may not have the other skills that are necessary. And what happens with a sophisticated market is not only is there not this incentive for to to just go off the charts with talent, it also raises the bar in terms of customer service. And that's where your advantage hopefully will come into play. And when every because when everybody has a general same talent level, what starts to set individuals and companies apart is their ability to market, their ability to perform good customer service. Those are the things that start to matter. And you realize that that has nothing to do with talent. That has to do with what kind of person you are. That has to do with your desire to to do those kinds of things and really help people. And it's hard for someone, if you really care, it's hard for someone to just come in and out-compete you and, and be be able to be better at all of those things. So. All of that leads to then the big question, which is how do we package all of this together and how do we then go and and make ourselves stand out? What do we do in order to do that? So number one, and I highly recommend writing these down, and these are the five simple things that I think about, and <laughs> it makes everything easy. These are the simple, easy answers for, for you to understand with all of this. So number one is... Offer stuff that people actually want. So your products, your services, when you're trying to get hired, whatever it is, offer stuff that people actually want. Now that sounds really simple, but you'd be surprised how many people don't do that. And specifically, you've probably heard me talk about this for 
When I say offer stuff that people want, people don't want PHP. People don't want HTML or CSS or JavaScript. They want an end result. They want a website. They want a membership site. They want a contact form. They want a social network. In a lot of ways, they don't care how you get there. They just want the end result. So offer stuff that people actually want. Find your niche. I've done an episode a couple back. I recommend it's, it's how to find your niche in web development. I go through that in detail, how to actually do that. But again, find your niche, offer stuff that people actually want. Second thing, real, real, real insightful here. Do exceptional work. The, the thing to remember here is you are in a services industry. All the technology, all that stuff, if, you're, if you are building things for people, you're ultimately in a services industry. And so in a services industry, anybody in any other service, in taxi cabs, it could be cleaning houses, whatever, restaurants, everybody that's in those industries knows that the number one key to success is repeat business and referrals. It's people coming back to you. It's word of mouth telling uh, them, telling other people about you. That's how you get, uh, that's how you be successful. And it's no different for, for what we do. And so the way to get those referrals, the way to get that repeat business is to really do exceptional work. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that you have to go off the chart with talent. It, it, it's more about the experience. And, and, and that leads into the third thing, which is excel at client or customer service. You know, the analogy I like to think of is that of a mechanic. Now, if we're honest, and I can speak for myself, but I imagine I'm probably hitting this on the head for a lot of you. If you have your car breakdown and you want to hire a mechanic, you know, I don't go and check if they're whatever it is, AAA certified. I don't see where they went to school. I don't go and talk to past customers. I don't do a lot of that stuff. I kind of make some assumptions that, you know, if they work for a particular brand that's popular, right? So, you know, if there's a, a, a auto shop, that's a brand that that's popular. I assume that if they work there, there's a certain standard there. I assume that if a company is, is even in the business of being a mechanic, there's kind of a certain, and, and they haven't been run out by now, and they're actually putting their name out to do this stuff. It's just this innate belief that there's a certain standard there for them to even be in business doing it. And so I don't, I don't really look at talent, right? I don't, I don't evaluate my mechanic off, oh, this guy, the, you know, the way he turns wrenches is way better than the way, you know, she does over here. Or, you know, she really <laughs> is able to analyze the diagnostics way better than this guy over here. Right? That's not, I don't. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't look at any of that stuff. What I care about is how they treat me. Are they honest with me? Do they tell me the price up front? Is there a bunch of stuff that gets added? Do they try and sell me all this other stuff I don't need? I look at the customer service part of it. And so that's in any industry, that stuff is ultimately more important than the talent level stuff. And it's the same for our industry. The way you outcompete people is being good at that part of stuff. Uh, that part of this whole thing is being excellent at customer service. And so, you know, for a mechanic, 
if I need my brakes fixed, brakes fixed, fixed, probably any mechanic can do that. So there's not someone being really extra good at brakes doesn't have a big appeal to me. What matters is who I like, who I want to work with. And so excelling at client customer service is the way to do that. Number four, don't be afraid to show off. And I bring this up because so many developers are, and I put it this way because so many developers are afraid to do this. Your website is that you selling your services, putting yourself out there. It It is you showing yourself off. It's your, it's your example of, of what you can do and of your work. So be sure to demonstrate what you're capable of. And on that, don't be afraid to sell yourself, to, to, to say why people should hire you. Show off the work that you've done. Right? You have to do that to stand out in, in today's environment. It's not good enough to just be talented. You have to actually show people that you're talented because there's so many other people out there who are, who are talented as well. And the way you can create an advantage is by being better at demonstrating why and how you're better or uh, why you're the person that they should go with. Okay. So you can, you can get an advantage in, in the marketing side of things. The last thing then is the one that, that everybody, when I bring it up, just don't want to do. And that is create content. It's said this before. It's like Gary Vaynerchuk says, if you're not creating in today's world, if you're not creating content online, you basically don't exist. Right? That that is that is the the medium by which we interact. Content is 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 the is the medium on which we build relationships. That's why I do a podcast. That's why I do YouTube videos. That's why I do tutorials. All of that. It's how we communicate. It's how we build trust. It's how you establish yourself. It's how you get noticed and get people paying attention to you uh, in the first place. Now. Again, when you look at these five things, some of these are very, very obvious, but other of these things, you look at them and you probably groan. And I know most of you watching, listening to this, you, you're not going to do some of these. That's just the reality of it. You're going to hear it. You're going to write it off or say, oh, I don't have to do that part, this side or the other. For the rest of you, which will be a much smaller segment of you, that 20% realize that you have an advantage Simply by just doing this stuff, because other developers just flat out aren't willing to do it. And that's where your advantage comes in. Again, the market will reach an equilibrium with talent. So now it's, what do I do beyond talent in order to to get noticed, to get attention, to stand out? It's being really good at what you do. It's client and customer service. It's being a really good marketer. It's creating content that gets attention and gets you noticed. Those are all the things that people don't want to do, that developers don't want to do, that will allow you to stand out. So when you ask me how do you stand out, that is how you do it. Now, when you do all of this, there's several things that will happen that are to your advantage, that will work to f- kind of future-proof your, your career, your business, etc. One is that you start building assets that you can adapt as the industry changes. So a YouTube channel that has a bunch of subscribers, that's an asset. Uh, A mailing list that has tens of thousands of subscribers, 
that's a real tangible asset that has benefit. A Twitter account, you know, a Facebook profile or Facebook page. Those are all real tangible assets that you can kind of wield and point in any direction if the market changes. And you can build those assets and use them in, in a multitude of different ways. And doing all of the stuff that I've just mentioned will allow you to build those assets that some new person coming into the industry, they might be more talented, but they can't compete with your 50,000 YouTube subscribers. They got to go out and build that themselves. And that's going to take a lot of work. Okay, so uh, again, when you do all of this, you build assets that are almost impossible for new people into the industry to compete with. Second thing you do is you build relationships that really kind of transcend talent and skill. I've had this happen with several different people that I've worked with as I've kind of gone through this whole IT journey. I have relationships with people that they have nothing to do with the PHP code that I've written or the CSS that I've written. <laughs> I, it, they're, they're relationships that transcend that. Those are invaluable to you. Those are, again, things that someone new to the industry, they got to go and do all of that stuff from scratch. Talent alone isn't going to get them there. Okay, so you, you start building those relationships that you can, again, can come into play and help you uh, if something changes or catches you off guard, you have some, you have some assets available to help you maneuver. The third thing, probably the most important thing in my mind, is that you teach yourself how to succeed in any industry, right? So you can make tires for a living, quality, service, marketing, all of that stuff is still going to matter. Those are all skills that you're still going to need. Those skills don't go away just because you're not doing IT anymore. And so, it allows you to be very, very adaptable and allows you to succeed in, in instances where everybody else is having trouble because you've learned these core skills that are fundamental to anything that you're going to do. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, these things are going to be important. And so you teach yourself those skills and you put those tools in your tool belt and you can use them in a myriad of different ways. Number four. You position yourself to exploit opportunity. So when disruption does happen, there are people that are caught up in that disruption and destroyed by it. There are also opportunities that become available and people who take advantage of those opportunities. Well, when you have all of these assets available to you, uh, email list, a YouTube channel, a Twitter account, relationships that you've cultivated, skills that are going to help you no matter what you do that, you, that you've cultivated. When you have all of that stuff available to you, you are positioned better to take advantage of those opportunities. Again, some newbie into the market may be super talented, but that talent isn't going to give them all these things that they need in order to take advantage of every opportunity that comes up. So again, you position yourself better to exploit those opportunities that happen when disruption occurs. You know, Netflix, when the whole thing with when Netflix was part of the disruption, but, you know, they were perfectly positioned to take advantage of the glaring holes and the things that Blockbuster wasn't paying attention to. And so when Blockbuster started to have some stress and start stress and started to go under, Netflix was a big beneficiary of that because they had positioned themselves 
correctly for it. So again, you can put yourself in that position. The fifth and final thing then is that your future is, with all of this, as secure as it can be. Look, nothing is guaranteed. There's nothing that's going to ever say 100% you'll never have any issues. But when you put the talent in your favor, you build the assets, you build the relationships, you position yourself correctly, you do all of these things, you're, giving, you're, you're stacking all of the cards in your favor. You're giving yourself the best chance the, to, to, to be successful long term, to be able to move through all of the different waves and bumps that come along. If you just rely solely on talent, you are going to be a small little sailboat in the tornado <laughs> that is technology, and it's going to whip you around all over the place. But when you build out all of these assets, now you're like this big ocean liner that's barely affected by any of it. I don't know if that's a great analogy. I'm not much of a sailor, but <laughs> you get my point. So again, you make your future as secure as it can be. So the thing to do now, right? the the, the first steps to get you going, to, to get you going down the path, kind of the action I want you to take as a result of listening to this. It's not enough to listen and go, that's good, I learned something. You need to take action. So here are the actions that I recommend that you take. First and foremost, number one, I harp on all the time. You're probably sick of hearing me say this. Pick a niche. And that, that niche should be end result focused. Okay, if you got to go back and listen to my past episode where I talk about this, go and do that. Pick a niche. First, most important thing. Second, now that you know what that is, now you can narrow that list of skills down to the only the things you need to learn in order to be able to deliver that end result. Get really, really good at it. Be able to write all the code, have all the resources available, be, have a portfolio that looks amazing. Like the, the, a client's wet dream, if they could just imagine the, the best of whatever the thing is, membership site, website, contact, whatever, like the, the absolute just awesome best version of that, build that beforehand. Build it in a way where you can build it for multiple clients. Build a bunch of them with diff some different colors and look a little different and build put them in your portfolio. Do all of that stuff and get really, really, really good at doing that one thing. Third, as you get clients, work your butt off to serve your clients or your boss, or your customers, whatever you're doing. Understand that customer service is going to be the number one thing that they'll remember about working with you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be what leads to repeat business, to referrals, if you do it right. So one customer can turn into 10. My brother's in the insurance industry. Happens to him all the time. He'll work with somebody. They'll love the experience. And next thing you know, he gets two, three, four clients from that person. He gets two, three, four from those people. Doesn't even really have to ask because they'll have such a great experience. Someone will be talking to him about their insurance. And he'll be like, hey, you should talk to my guy. Because he's really, really good. And he's slowly just been growing his insurance business. So, again, work your butt off to serve your, your, your clients, your boss, your customers, whatever. Number four, build your home base. So, one of the first things that you should be focusing on is having a portfolio page and having a services page. So, you can actually physically sell yourself if you're doing freelance. Or 
You know, if you're if you're applying for IT jobs, then you need to have a resume, portfolio items in it. Okay, referral. If you have referrals from people that maybe you've done stuff for, in it. Have all of that stuff in there so that you can show yourself off and build your home base. Right, your website is your home base. Again, if it's for uh, freelance clients and you want to have your portfolio, your services page, all that. If you're applying for IT jobs, you can make that a resume. You can turn your website into a resume, but build your home base. Number five, create content. That is the thing that nobody, 90% of you listening to this aren't going to do it. You're just flat out not going to do it. You're scared. You don't think it's important, whatever. If you create, if you are the, the 10 per, one of the 10% that do do it, you're going to have a huge advantage. Because nobody, there's very few people out there that are actually doing it. If you look at the people that are doing it, most of them are doing pretty well for themselves. Okay, so create content. It doesn't have to be YouTube videos. It doesn't have to be a podcast. You can answer questions. You can write written tutorials, something. But get out there and start creating content. That's how you get attention. That's how you get noticed. And then point people to your your website, if it's your resume or your portfolio, or maybe it's your a profile on a freelancing site, whatever, point them to where they can go to actually then hire you. And you're going to start getting people that'll actually do that. All right. So those are the five things. Pick a niche, get great at it, work your butt off on customer service, build your home base and create, start creating content. Do those five things and you'll be well on your way to future proofing your career Get, getting going with your business or your, your IT career and not being stuck in the waves of all these new people coming in, technology changing, worrying about having to, to compete and all that. You won't have to worry about it because you'll be way, 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 way ahead of the game. All right, coming up next, I'm going to answer your questions. I got a couple, <laughs> couple fun ones here and I have someone who's challenging me on a video uh, that I did over on YouTube. So I'm going to respond to that. Definitely won't want to miss that. You're listening to John Moore's show, johnmorrisonline.com. You know, it's kind of funny. Every time someone uh, joins my email list, I ask them a very specific question. I ask them, what would you say if I could, if I told you I could teach you how to master PHP in the next few months? And I get a lot of interesting answers. Now, I get a lot of people who, you know, they say, sign me up. Where do I start? Let's do this, right? I get people who are a little more skeptical who say, um, it would depend on the details, you know, if it costs, what it costs, etc. And then I get people probably on the, the most skeptical end who are like, well, what does it exactly take to master PHP? And all these are really great questions. Now, let me ask you this, since you're here listening. What if I told you that you could get started learning everything that you need to know to master PHP, all the foundational skills that are necessary to move you out of maybe that job that you're working right now that you don't really like and just get yourself into an IT career. Oftentimes, people do it making more than they were making before. But even if you could just make the same and start doing it in an IT career as opposed to like I used to do, which was wearing my little chicken costume walling around in Greece all day, cooking chicken. Imagine if you could learn what you needed to learn, get the foundational skills you needed to start that process all for just seven bucks. What would your answer be? 
I hope your answer would be a resounding yes. Because I know I'm going to go all keep off my grass old man on you. But I remember what it was like when I was coming up. And the option to get all of that training in one place simply didn't even exist at that time. Unless you wanted to read through a 500-page PHP manual, which I didn't want to do. But today, not only is that option available, but it's only going to cost you 7 bucks to get started. So if you're someone who's serious about learning PHP, about making a career in the IT industry, about getting out of whatever you're doing now that you might hate and getting into the tech industry, you don't have to be a PHP coder forever. That's the thing. You can, If you want to get into all the fancy new stuff, Node and Python, and well, Python's not new, but Django and all this other stuff, all these frameworks and everything that's out there, that's fine. But one of the fastest ways to get out of where you're at now and into a, an IT career is through PHP because it's simply the most popular server-side backend language that you're going to find. The job opportunities are huge, and there's companies that, out there that are just starving for PHP developers. Clients out there starving for people who can create PHP applications. So again, if you're someone who's serious about making that happen, then I want to encourage you to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com php you can start taking module one of my PHP course for just seven bucks. So today, skip the latte from Starbucks, head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash PHP, and let's get started with your PHP career. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. I'm going to get into our Q&A session here. So this one comes from Levi over on YouTube, and he said, I think part of the reason why I subscribed to your channel, John, is precisely what you said about six minutes into this particular video, which is, you believe that you are smart enough to learn anything. My mother, my father told me quite a few times that I'm not stuck with whatever skills or talents that are thrown on my lap at birth. Though those skills and talents are valuable in many ways, they don't have to define who you are and what you should become in life. And this is true. I've talked about this before. I think there's, it's true that there are things that no matter how much effort you put into them, you know, you, 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 there's a good chance you're not going to be able to do them. You know, being a professional athlete, for example, you know, no, no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to be 6'10 with a 40 inch vertical, you know, it's just not going to happen. So my chances of the, there, there's, limited chance of me making the NBA or making an NFL pro team, etc. cetera. Uh, but those things that are in that category of no matter how hard you try, there's still a good chance. You're not, I think that's a really, really small subset of things. We, you, what happens is we tend to use those things as an excuse for not attempting things that are well within our grasp, right? So We'll use that analogy to keep us, someone might say, well, I'm not, I'm not a tech person. I'm not that smart. I'm not going to get into all this stuff. I 100% believe that's not true at all. I believe anybody can get into technology because it, contrary to popular belief, and I know some of you are going to push back on me against this, it doesn't take a real high IQ to do this. It really doesn't. More than anything, it takes persistence. Like the stuff that that we have to learn in order to do this, none of it is overly complicated. There's not something that just requires this massive amount of intelligence to be able to understand. 
That's not what it is. It's more persistence than anything else. I've had people that I've taught one-on-one. And the difference between the people who have had success or went on and had success and the people who didn't isn't intelligence. There's been some really smart people that have flaked out. It has been persistence, work ethic, etc. And so I always tell myself, I don't care what it is, I could learn how to do it. And I've done that for a number of years. I've worked in all sorts of different jobs and industries, military, manufacturing, services industry, running my own business, teaching myself how to code, you know, all sorts of different things, marketing, business, all of that, right? And the one thread through all of that is me. I just tell myself, I don't care what it is. I can learn how to do it. Now, are there things that I might run into in my life where no matter how hard I try, I I just, I can't ever figure it out. Sure, but there's a lot more things that had I not taken that approach, I would have never taught myself that, that I ended up, because I took that approach, I ended up learning and doing that I might not have otherwise. So again, it's less about it being 100% true and more about an approach to how you look at things. And that one time in your life where you run into that one thing, you know, maybe, maybe rocket science is something I couldn't figure out, right? Okay. That one time in my life where I run into that one thing that I can't figure out isn't, isn't worth giving up the 30 things that you will learn and be able to do by taking this approach. So again, uh, yeah, I absolutely take that approach. I think everybody should take that approach. And I think, 99.9% 99.9% of the time, it actually is true. You can learn anything. It's just a matter of persistence. All right, second uh, question or comment comes from Nicholas over on Patreon. He says, hey, John, great videos. I really appreciate your courses. Can you tell us more about timing for projects? How long does it take to make a website and approximately how much should we charge? Maybe a podcast episode addressing these issues. Thank you, John. You're the man. So here you go. <laughs> Here's... Uh, the podcast episode addressing this. Not necessarily a full episode, but we're getting here in the FAQ. So um, so here's my answer when it comes to timing. And I've, I've kind of, I believe I've done some past episodes. I think they're a little ways back on this where I'd covered this whole, like this one topic uh, in, in that particular episode. But the basic idea is, is I can't tell you how long it's going to take for you to do a website. That's the first thing. Okay. It depends on what the website is. What well, depends if it's a website. Right? It depends on what you know, what you don't know. It depends what tools and resources and so forth. So I can't sit here and say two weeks. That's how long it's going to take. I can't do that. So the answer to your question, though, goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is the number one most important thing that I harp on that you get sick and tired of hearing, which is picking your niche. And here's why timing comes down to picking your niche. Because when you pick a niche and you have a defined end result, you know exactly what that end result looks like. Now you have a path in front of you to being able to build it. And oh, by the way, if you build like 10 of these different sites in a little bit different way for your portfolio, you've got some experience building them. You will do, you will figure out about how long it's going to take you. And because you've written all the code beforehand, you've written it in a way where you can use it for client after client after client, you've built a bunch of these, uh, you're familiar with it and how to do it, that time will be much shorter than probably other people who haven't done all of that stuff. And so you'll know exactly 
essentially how that project is going to be built, the steps in order to build it, how long each step is going to take. And so you'll you'll know what the timeline's going to be. The problem people run into when it comes to time to, to timelines is when they're doing things they've never done before, or they've maybe done one time before. Right. And so you don't know. And there's no good answer to that question. Right. There's <laughs> this is like a constant thing with with people who do web development. Trying to figure out how much time something's going to take on a project you've never done before, it's basically impossible. People have all these calculations and and ways that they go trying to figure this stuff out, but they're always just guesses. And a lot of times they'll either they'll be they'll be off. I had a guy who, you know, uh, it wasn't really a mentor, but I knew he was in web development when I was first getting into it. And one of the things he said is. Take however long you you think it's going to take and triple it, because that's just the way it tends to go. But even that is just a, a a guess at best. But when you do what I said, when you pick a niche, you focus on an end result. You only do projects delivering that end result. You've done it a bunch of times before. You know exactly how it's going to build be built. You have most of the code written already. You know how long it's going to take. When I built clone websites for people, membership sites for clients, I knew that I could actually build it in about two to three days. If I just sat down and did it, I could build it in two to three days. Now, I would tell them two weeks just to give myself some time because I, I, I didn't want to be working eight hours a day every day. So I would tell them in a couple of weeks, I'd go at my own pace and I'd usually get done early and then they'd be happy because I got done early. So, but I knew, I knew how long it would take. So when you, when you pick a niche, you get clear on it, you do all the things that I said in the, the five steps, then you'll know what the timeline's going to be and you don't have to guess. So in terms of charging, the, this is the way I look at it. There's, there's what it's worth to the client and then there's what it's worth to you. Okay, so what it's worth to the client is determined by the market. So to figure out what it's worth to the client, just go out there and and look at what other people are charging for the same thing. So if you're building mem- a membership site, what are other people charging for membership sites? Or you're building a contact form, what are other people for, uh, you know, charging for contact forms and so forth? And try to find people who you're reasonably sure are getting a decent amount of business, have a good reputation, and so forth. Now, there's going to be a high to low range when you do that, right? There's going to be the the cream of the crop premier people who can charge a premium, but even they have an upper limit. And then there's going to be kind of the bottom of the barrel people who, you know, that may or may not be good at delivering it, et cetera. So there's, there's going to be a range there, but you'll have a sense of what that range is if you do that research. So that's what it's worth to the client. Then you look at that and where it's at and say, well, is that worth it to me? Right, because there's there's certain kinds of websites that I could build that the what it's worth to the client isn't what it's worth to me, and so I'll have people who approach me about those websites, and I know what the market price is, but I'll tell them some, I'll tell them some crazy price, and they'll be like, "What?" And I tell them, "I know that's high, but that's <laughs> I'm not willing to do it for less than that." So, you know, find somebody else, basically. So again, you have to look at the market price and then what is it worth to you? And what you'll find, I think, is that there most most markets, 
there's going to be a, a point where those two things converge. Okay. So you'll, you know, let's say the upper limit is $10,000 for a website and the lower limit is five for a particular site. And you look at it and go, gosh, that's a lot of work. I wouldn't really want to do that for less than seven grand. Okay. Well, you're in the range. And so now you just have to justify the being worth the seven grand, or maybe it's 700. You know, the, the range is 500 to a thousand and you're at 700, right? You usually find some sort of convergence there. And, and, and so you just, you go with that and, and just make sure that the biggest mistake I think people make is they take less than what they're really willing to take. And so every project they work on, they're feeling cheated. And feeling cheated time after time after time is a very, very quick way to becoming disillusioned, burnout, and quitting this whole industry for good. Okay, so make sure that you take some time to analyze what it's worth to you and that whatever thing you're delivering the market price you're you you're in that range now if you look at everybody else out there and let's say you're at seven thousand dollars and the hot you know the highest you see out there is five thousand look at what they're offering and are there things you can add to what you're doing that are simple for you to do that make it worth seven thousand to them or you know, another thing to do is, let's say the premium person out there is charging $10,000. Well, why are they able to charge $10,000 and still get clients? What is it that they're doing? Is it the the way that they're delivering? Is it what they're delivering? Do they have add-on packages that they they integrate that make it worth that? I get an, a sense of what the actual offer is and then be able to to, to cater or adapt what you're doing to that so that you can then justify that higher price as well. All right. So hopefully that gives you some insight into how to do that. I, again, I've pretty sure I've done full podcast episodes on both of these, both what to charge and talking about the timing. If you look back in the archives of the show. So again, hopefully that, that does the trick for you. All right, if you like this episode, be sure to like it or leave me a five-star review over on iTunes. I'd really appreciate that. That helps me kind of move up in the iTunes rankings and other people get exposed to the show. So I'd really, really appreciate it. If you're someone who's liked the show, I get emails all the time from people. Uh, I'd really appreciate it if you would head on over to iTunes and, and leave me that review. I think you have to probably do it on your device. I don't think you can go on the web. But if on your device you go to johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes, you should be able to get over there and, and then uh, be able to leave me a review. So, again, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, if you know somebody who'd benefit from listening to this, I'd appreciate it if you'd share it with them. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next time.